This is Saul Luckman. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Conversations on Saul Luckman Uncensored, sponsored by snoozetoawaken.com, resources for lucidity. For more information about my work, including a lot of cutting-edge free content, check out crowrising.com. I'm also on Telegram, where I'm lighting it up at t.me slash Luckman, and I'm, as always, absolutely crushing it on Substack at soulluckman.substack.com. Please join me there. If you're a researcher, author, influencer, or content creator interested in talking simulation theory and related topics with me on this show, by all means, drop me a line. I'm also open to coming on other podcasts as a guest to drill down into what's up in the simulacrum and how we can survive and thrive here. If you really appreciate what I'm doing here, I'd really appreciate your buying me a coffee which I'll be sure to sip in your honor at buymeacoffee.com slash Saul Luckman. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome the always popular online personality, Shiva Shampoo, who serves as a moderator for both the Archaics and my own YouTube channels, yay. Born in Canada, Shiva went through school indoctrination, but luckily skipped two grades and was able to finish early because he's so smart. Going to five different elementary schools helped prevent peer pressure from grabbing hold and a keen interest in theater and music helped him realize that fear was something that needed to be overcome. As a teen, he read a wide variety of challenging literature, poetry, philosophy, and other esoteric offerings while writing poetry, playing music, acting in many theater productions, and engaging in improvisational comedy. He went to university for a brief time but then got a job as a lead actor in a television soap for 130 episodes, all while not having a TV at home after realizing that TV is a wasteland of insanity and brainwashing. After this, he lived as a nomadic musician and psychonaut before attending the Berkeley College of Music for a year, all paid for by a benefactor who heard him sing. In 1992, he traveled to Thailand, then India, where his epic adventures included not having a passport for a decade and touring the country on motorbike. Since 2018, he has called the Maldives home. He has been an intrepid researcher of alternative narratives since the late 1980s, and starting in 03 has allowed a potent blending of outer and inner worlds to show that there is no separation, that the oversoul has temporarily broken itself into many pieces in a temporary illusion that we are all one, all connected, and will return to source having never left. Some would classify Shiva as a singer, musician, poet, but whatever else he is, he is a true errant and unique character who has touched many with his humor, passion, and compassion, and I'm really glad to call him my friend. Thank you for joining me today, my brother. I can't tell you how thrilled I am to finally chat with you voice to voice. Oh, likewise. I am also very thrilled to call you my friend as well, and I drop your name whenever I can. <laughs> 
Well, that's very, very kind of you. You know, you and I have gone back and forth on in chats and in, in uh, on Telegram, writing each other back and forth, and you've sent me voice messages, but this is the first time we've ever chatted voice to voice, so this is new ground for us. Exactly. It's fresh. And and I'll just have uh, the audience listening know that we started talking and Saul was insistent that I did not spew any information earlier as to, uh, you know, take away the magic from our talking. So you mean just a few minutes ago? Yeah, let's let's do it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's it's like Jason says, and other people have said this as well. When you really have a rapport with somebody, it's easy to let the pre-interview chat get away from you. And then you kind of feel like you've lost your your emotional mojo when you get into the interview, you just really want to go with it, you know. That's right. The four play becomes five play, six play, and seventh heaven's play. We don't want is, that. <laughs> we don't want that. We just want to, We want the divine play, the Leela, the divine play in the Maya. That's right. Is, it needs to be tantric. Exactly. <laughs> like you got to go out like the sun that. and get a get a tantric in the sun, in the sun trick. Yeah, that's good. No, I know you're a massive punster and and I like to try my hand at that as well. So the audience will simply have to forgive us and live with <laughs> punster. it. Uh, so you know. I heard someone described it as dad jokes. I was like, dad jokes? And then I thought, are we getting old? Or is that person just misconstruing puns, which is one of the highest form of of intellectual wordplay, really, Shakespeare. I call it the punnicle of wit. Exactly. It's some people they don't like it. They say it's two thirds of a pun. P U, which is <laughs> a very bad pun itself and deserving of the moniker P U. But yeah, it's it's you know it can be all groan inducing puns, but it's it's just excellent. Shakespeare was so into puns. It's just littered all over his works wasn't a real guy. I mean, I don't know what Shakespeare was, some kind of advanced AI or something. I don't know. <laughs> or a series of thousand-year-old dudes who wrote the plays, but excellent stuff. I really haven't found anything in other languages quite comparable to the output of Shakespeare. So I don't think it was one guy. But whatever did it, it's great stuff. You know, Shakespeare was one. I mean, there's so many who really foregrounded that. You have Jonathan Swift, you know, at the oh, beginning of Gulliver's Travel is one of my favorite little sections of all time. I'll read this. It's hilarious. Soon after my return from Leiden, I was recommended by my good master, Mr. Bates, to be surgeon to the <laughs> swallow. Captain Abraham Pennell, commander, with whom I continued three years and a half, making a voyage or two into the Levant and some other parts. When I came back, I resolved to settle in London, to which Mr. Bates, my master, encouraged me it goes on and on from there it's just crazy Ma- beginning of masturbates the cunning linguist <laughs> exactly. it's to be children's literature right you know it's just, <laughs> oh it's yes crazy. absolutely starting them young starting them young <laughs> yeah so like, I the, like the mormons that. say bring them young bring them young that's hilarious <laughs> really well funny. actually um i was i once told somebody <laughs> in gulliver's travels right I was like, oh, you know, the tale of the Lilliputians and Rob Dignag and all this, right? I once had a conversation with this girl. I was in university at one point, and I told her what happened in, in Gulliver's Travels. And she says, no, that didn't happen. And I said, oh, yes, it did. <laughs> it was this, I don't even want to relate it here on, 
on your thing. I'll just let the audience maybe go search it for themselves. But it's some very strange behavior that's quite rude. And she was like, no, no, I never read that. I said, well, go back and read it again. And she went back and said, oh, my God, that was in there. It's it's really he was hilarious and also unafraid to uh, to say what he wanted to say. He probably would have got, got kicked off YouTube, I think. Absolutely. I mean, even Jeffrey Chaucer would. I mean, some of those Whoa! some of those crazy Canterbury tales. There's the the, uh, the Miller's Tale. The Miller's Tale, where where you know his wife, who's cheating on him, sticks her bum out the window. Out the window. We the were dark. in English in English class. We were told we actually had to study Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, and he said, "You have to read this tale, this tale, this tale, that, but don't read the Miller's Tale." <laughs> he said. He said. That's literally funny. said. And he said, but I do realize by telling you not to read it, that some of you that don't even read that much anyway, are going to read that one, you know, and so was he was a hilarious guy, actually, he constructed, I hats off to some of these teachers, I mean, school is such a horrible indoctrination and just look, but that guy, and a couple of other teachers were really special, I mean, inspiring and they loved literature and they really inculcated in us the love for literature. And so I really appreciate that, you know. So, I, had that, uh, I had that, too, with some high school teachers. I mean, actually, even back to an eighth grade teacher. Um, and then my own mother had been an English teacher and got me reading early on during these long periods of time when we were out of school because of snow up in the mountains. And, you know, she turned me on to Tolkien and the Hobbit and all this stuff. And then I, and then I just ran the table. I had two great teachers all the way through high school. I got to go away to governor's school. I had these amazing teachers in the summer, you know, teaching like Japanese literature and, and all of this amazing stuff when I was, you know, like a rising junior in high school, I just really was just, just uh, like a sponge through this entire phase. And then I had a variety of really great teachers at the university level. This is really before the whole CR2, CRT with, you know, cultural Marx Marxism, common, yes. common core, before, you know, hardcore genderizing of the, uh, of the academy happened when you could actually yep. talk about literature as literature and not some kind of like uh, soulless social science. Exactly. It was not directed towards agendas. I actually, I'm 53 and you're a, you know, a similar kind of generation. Older than you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we actually went through a time when literature was literature. Things like The Merchant of Venice wasn't banned and, and all those absurd Huckleberry Finn or whatever the heck. What? Very bizarre. It's so true. You no, know, and just the purity of literature and then the awareness that people thought differently back then and in different eras, and you just accepted it for what it was, you know, and now it's just, whoa, everyone is overly sensitive and just bizarre you know it, even in the playground people were bullies and they'd like beat you and they'd call you fag and all kinds of shit and i was like that's not very nice but nowadays i'm looking and going wow that's almost refreshing compared to what's going on nowadays it's like <laughs> it's the opposite it's so ridiculous and yeah, amazing I'll take, bully, I'll take a bully over a cry bully any day oh absolutely because the cry bullies are bigger bullies than the bullies the bullies absolutely. are just 
you psychologically know what they're about. My father was like, if they hit you, you've got to hit them back. I'm like, but dad, the guy's like one foot taller than me. And blah, you know, he's like, no, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. And I'm like, but I don't want to fight these people. This is retarded. And he's like, no, you've got to do it. Or they're going to keep on terrorizing you. And I'm like, damn it. So I did it. I finally, I punched this guy in the face. He had been bothering me, torturing me, torturing me, like, <laughs> doing, and I did it. And he looked at me. Mm -hmm. and it stopped him in his tracks and from that day onwards he was like hey man blah, 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 blah. he was nice to me and i thought oh my god this is so weird it, it, it works it's this weird psychology but the thing is you don't have to keep on doing it but if you don't do it you're gonna have to deal with this again and again and again it was really bizarre i mean i was not a fan of violence i, I talked my way out of a couple hundred fights i think but i mean sometimes you can't talk your way out of it you know and you just have to get down to it right and on. after all it's aix teaching you this is adversity this is the adversity you may not like it right now but this is teaching you that life is not going to be all roses and rainbows as you proceed forward you need to get used to some kind of adversity well before we came on this interview we were talking about the tool known as fear yes the teaching tool you know I, yeah. I would love to hear your your thoughts again and you know maybe take them in some new directions here just uh this is an important piece because people are so afraid of fear exactly i, I mean what is that quote it's actually a very bizarre quote where it's uh, there's nothing to fear but fear itself and you're like actually no fearing fear itself is also just like that's also the wrong direction you know i'm i'm not into this fear but fear itself is actually a great teacher you know it's it's like like in music you have the tension and then you have the resolution right and this is how you this is great music if you just have all dissonance it can be interesting all the dissonance but you have this Wow, it's this dissonance and then this resolution back to the home, to the home key. And this movement from the tension to the uh, resolution is is the teaching, right? That's that's the real satisfaction. That's the journey. And so fear is like that, too. You know, what you want to do is overcome fear and not have fear get in the way. But you have to love fear as well. You have to respect it and say, wow, that dilates me. This fear is making me so aware of, of what I need to do and like my limitations and like, why am I afraid of this? And why? And then, then you can make moves to conquer the fear. Uh, some people, of course, they don't get to that stage. They're just afraid the whole time, you know, and that's what we don't want. We definitely don't want that. But then some people go the other extreme and say, we never want to have fear. We always must be in the vibration of love and never have fear. And that is a great ideal to have, but it's an unreasonable expectation, right? You you know that you're going to be afraid of, of some things. And it's just working through that fear. That's the magic. I mean, and you should actually, I don't like, like the word should actually, but it is advisable and fun. <laughs> <laughs> to right. 
to love your fear, to, you know, to just say, wow, thank you, to be grateful in the end, to be grateful for everything, including fear, including AIX, what you may term as the adversary, as difficulty, you know, that horrible thing, your, your cat died, your mother died. I mean, some of the worst things you could possibly go through, a divorce or someone robbing you or going to jail, which has happened to me, happened to other people. I mean, those things at the time, they were not pleasant. You know, and it's not like, oh, yeah, I just accepted it every day. I was like, I'm so happy I'm here. No, you weren't. You were afraid. You were pissed off. You know, it wasn't a fun experience. But this is the simulation that we're in. You know, I mean, it's possible that there are thousands or even an infinite amount of simulations. And in some of those simulations, you may have been a tree for 3000 years just going and everything was fine. And that was great. And you learn stuff in that simulation. But this one that we're in is the level 138 nemesis hardcore <laughs> whoa, 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 simulation. And it's not, you got ninja guys coming out with, you know, blades on their fingertips and shopping your wiener and all kinds of mayhem going on. And you've got to deal with it and how you deal with it. But, you know, we signed up for it. I think we did sign up for this. It's not like, why is all this stuff happening to me? I'm in a soul trap and they're torturing and they're sucking me. The Archon's sucking my energy. Chill out, dude. I mean, I know it seems like that, <laughs> right? But it's not a soul trap. This isn't a trap. You chose to be in this hardcore video game. Enjoy it, man. Like, be afraid, but realize that that's... The joy of the video game i mean do you really want a video game that's just picking flowers hopping frogs what a nice sunny day he'd be like i'm getting a little bored of this video game i mean it might be okay for a while but you do want a little action later on i think <laughs> the oh, oversoul yeah, god brahma wants this action that's what the divine play is right it's like, I'm going to break myself up into all these little pieces, and I want to experience everything, everything. I want to experience life as this very wealthy man, as this total retard, as the frog, as the insect, as this dude, you know, talking to another dude. And the internet wants to experience all that stuff. And the only way to experience that is to wipe our memory and start afresh and not be aware that you're part of the divine. But somewhere along the way, I think we are becoming aware that we are part of the divine. We're becoming aware of the joke, the cosmic joke, and it's beautiful, right? But, you know, then you have to chop wood and carry water. It's not like you have these realizations and you still have to live in this quasi-material world, so it seems, right? And And it's beautiful, you know? Um, and you just downloaded so much there. That was that was really nice. We need a transcript of that of that little rant because that was a really good one. Um, it brought wow. up a couple of things for me that I've been talking about for a while. One is the is the notion that if you look at the the Toltec shamanism teachings, which I'm I'm really putting a lot of energy into in my personal life these days. Mm, wonderful. First, the first enemy, the first of the four quote unquote enemies of the of the warrior, the person, the errant on the spiritual path, if you want to look at it that way. The first of the four enemies is fear. Yep. And and uh, you know, a lot of people, like you said, never 
never make it past fear. So that's that's a really big one. And if you can manage to get past fear, which I'd like to say something about as well, then then you go on to the other enemies, which is in order. It's it is um, clarity is the next enemy, which I think is hilarious. You can be it's a, it's a tricky over, one. You can yes. over intellectualize the world and mm-hmm. go from thinking about you know how you're from you're feeling your emotional body to theorizing outlandish scenarios like soul traps and that kind of thing. And you're just absolutely stuck in your head going around and around. And then the third level, uh, the third em- enemy is, is power when you've actually developed mm-hmm. some level of power, but then it becomes an amazing temptation and it keeps you here. Absolutely. And then fourth is old age when you've kind of put some of the pieces together, but your physical vigor is waning and you are, you're in a race against time in many ways. So, absolutely. so those are the four, the the four biggies, but here's the thing over and over again in the shamanic literature in Castaneda's books, for example, but in other books, fear ends up being this catalyst to move what's called your assemblage point. And this is actually a critical this is a critical concept to grasp because it, I think it ties in intimately and absolutely to the whole simulation conversation. But a lot of people aren't talking about what uh, aren't talking about the quote unquote simulation through this lens. The assemblage point is this this piece of uh, this. It's this circular area on the membrane or the outer part of your personal energy field. You might call that the aura. You might call that the auric fields. You might call that your energy body, whatever it is that you want to call it. But in the back of that area, uh, over the right shoulder blade, is a little circular area area that takes in what is termed as the eagle's emanations. And we could talk a lot about what the eagle is and what's going on there. Basically, the eagle is what we what a lot of New Age people would call source. It, what it's what gives rise to the energies that create the various realities, the various quote-unquote simulations. And it is that being that appears to be separating itself into different discrete entities to have experiences that then it reabsorbs at some point. Yes. That's, that's what the eagle is in shamanism. So it's it's there in the shamanism. It's there in, in, in certain Eastern philosophies. It's there in all of the New Age stuff. I mean, lots of people for a very long time have been talking this way. So... The assemblage point is taking the feelings of the eagle of that creator, and it's 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 uh, putting them through a kind of lens and projecting them. And when it projects them, you get a body in a world. There you are, you're happening. Yes. But it doesn't mean that you're you're a physical being in the materialist sense of the world because in the materialist sense of the word because at any given time. You can shift your assemblage point, and when you do, you might have a different body. You might be younger or older. You might be a different species. And if you Mm -hmm. shift even more, this world may completely dissolve, and you may be in another world. (laughs) Absolutely. So I think it's really important to think about, you know, the, the potential similarities and differences between between this way of looking at what we've been calling the simulation and and the type of analogy that we've been engaging when we look at movies like The Matrix and Tron and uh, 13th Floor and other sci-fi types of ways of looking at the simulation. Because what if it's really actually just a projection of feelings 
and that we're not actually reincarnating into it. We have the option to move out of it into another reality, which might feel like reincarnation, but it's not actually reincarnation. And in order to do that, we have to actually master the four enemies. What if all, what if all of that were true? Then it would merit tremendous attention and effort put into it, I believe. Oh, yeah. And we don't need to wait until we die, whatever that means, physical death as we would normally term it. We don't have to wait until we die. We can shift our assemblage points through a variety of techniques, some of them more relaxed and some of them more intense, you know, that can radically shift your assemblage point. Um, you actually had an article on that recently as well, or you were linked to a video on that recently. Mm. And uh, that was, yeah, that was, uh, was spot on with the various ways that people can move their assemblage points. And, you know, it's just like, it's like a breaking pattern. And some of it is just small breakings of patterns and, you know, uh, it, a little bit of a help. And some of them are extreme breakings of patterns, like, like a death, like an ego death, like Absolutely. being brought into another complete dimension, life, whatever. You don't even need to wait to die to have a myriad of experiences within this life itself. You know, it, it really begs, it really makes you wonder, you know, what is really going on? <laughs> I mean, it's a deep question, but it is not what we think it is. It is just so much more than what's going on in our daily life. But we're we're on the canvas of this painting and we're moving around as we are. It's fine, but it's so multidimensional. I don't even know what a dimension means, but I definitely feel it. And with emotions, as you said as well, emotions are not these things that get in the way of logic and reason and this is not a reasonable scientific blah 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 it's very nice logic and some people are overly emotional and they need to bring that down a little bit and apply more reason and then there's other people that are way too reasonable and mental well that doesn't make any sense blah blah and they are so boring it's like they bring a calculator to a po poetry reading and you're like what the heck Dude, you know, relax. Emotions are extremely logical things. They're they're the basis of reason. They're they're it's the the engine, the power that that gives uh, you the ability to move your assemblage point, to move in various dimensions, to make some sense of something. Now, unbridled emotions without any control can lead you to you know some kind of confusion. But sometimes that's the very confusion you need to break yourself out of that stodgy, uh, calcified consciousness that is so pervasive among so many people. You know, it's a real delicate balance between people that are overly active in the mind and accept no mystery. And then the people who are just wee, 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 way out there and, you know, need a little bit of grounding, you know? I agree with that. I'm glad you brought up breaking pattern because that is one area in Jason's teachings that he's spot on. That That is an amazing way to shift your reality. You know, you can look at it the way Jason looks at it, or you can look at it as a way of gradually shifting your assemblage point. It doesn't really matter so much for practical purposes because what it's going to do is change your life. Exactly. I mean, our life is always changing. So just, you know, 
just embrace that. Embrace that it's always changing. I mean, people are afraid of change, but you're like, how can you actually be afraid of it? It's 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 the only thing that's constant is the change. It's just everything is changing. You know, nothing ever stays the same. The, the sunset is not just going to pause there for a couple of days. I mean, it's literally just keeps moving and keeps changing. So, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of that kind of thing. You shouldn't you know, be afraid of when, when you read your bio, you know, you've we're we've kind of jokingly said that we're like brothers from the from you know from different mothers a couple times. You know, we're very similar yes. in many ways, and we've done all of these different things, and we've had so many experiences that have been kind of packed into our lives. In shamanism, time isn't really this this independent linear phenomenon that goes at a certain pace, it's actually measured in terms of what is called intensity. And, you know, the person who lives to, you know, to a young age and then dies like a Jim Morrison may, in terms of intensity, may be far older at 27 than somebody who's 100 because oh, absolutely. he's lived more. And this is another yep. thing that really shifts your assemblage point is just having all of this intensity in your life, by which I don't necessarily mean drama. Yeah, exactly. No, it can be, there's many kinds of intensity. I, I often felt that when I was young, I just felt I had lived so much by the age of like, from the age of 14 to 16, I thought, my God, my my head has exploded and all this, I mean, what I, I'm going, what am I going to be when I'm 20 or 30 or what? And, and then it went on from there and went on from there. And and I'm still alive. So that's great. I'm still alive. I'm not, not saying I, I try to die or anything. I'm just saying that I just felt like so much had happened to me at, at a young age. And I was exploring things that even today I talk to people at any age and they have not even looked at those things. And it's not a competition or anything like that. It's not, not about that. It's just about some of us are called to experience certain things and some of us are called to, you know, live a more gentle sine wave in that life. And, and there's there's no shame in any of it. You know, it's not like one way is better than the other. You know, in another life, I could have had a very, probably had a very calm life with, you know, enough material things and things were calm and I raised a family and, you know, like it could have been a very different thing. I was a woman, I was a man, I was whatever, you know, as I said, I was a tree for 3000 years in another sim. I mean, we've probably had an opportunity to be all these different things because that's what we need. Our immortal, our mortal soul needs all these different kinds of experiences in order to get the full spectrum, right? So this life anyway, for me, has been one of some intensity, some extreme hardship and, and suffering and some great joy and, and just tender feelings and all this kind of thing, you know, a visceral kind of celebration of life, you know. And also I've been through very incredibly sad, even suicidal periods, like, oh, just like you're feeling this in real sadness and craziness. But working through that and realizing that, oh, yeah, I don't want to be a victim. No, that's that's not what I want to be. And that what a great liberation that is to realize that you don't need to feel that way. But I did need to feel that way before in order to be who I am today and in order for my immortal soul to benefit from all this. So I don't regret any of that. I don't regret any of my the sadness in my life. 
You know, I'm at least now I'm trying, not 100%, but I'm trying to be grateful for every single moment, you know. I love Even to you say that, you know, that's uh, that's really similar to to my trajectory because I've, you know, I've had just absolutely ecstatic mountaintop experiences by the dozen and I've had just, mm -hmm. you know, soul crushing back breaking experiences and devastating loss and all of it. And yeah, yeah. I'm really at a point. And again, I go back to the journey I've been on. You know, I was sick for a really long time. And then I was going to mention that in Brazil, you had some very I, I know you had some great times, but you had some very oh, wrenching times that you thought you were going to die. Yeah, it was, just, it was just totally dark. And and that 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 was the beginning of my consciousness path. You know, until then, I really was part of the collective in most ways, even though I maybe I had little little bits and pieces of me that, you know, you could see the budding errant from even from when I was a child. And, you know, people knew that I was different in that kind of thing. But I can't say that I was fully on the path of asking the hard questions, doing the deep dives internally and trying to figure out what was going on. But when my life depended on it and I was scared shitless, then I, I began walking that path. And that was that catalyst of fear, you know, and desperation pushing me forward. And now all these years later, you know, my mother died, my father died, you know, uh, had lots of loss. Um, I, I have such a different feeling about all of that. In fact, I don't have much feeling about it at all. I know one of, and I keep talking about the shamanism. I think it's really important to bring it in to just contextualize some stuff, for, at least from my perspective and for people who are interested in this subject, when your assemblage point moves sufficiently, it makes the first pit stop on its journey towards even more radical transformational positions. And that pit stop is called the place of no pity. And the, yes. the first and foremost person that you're not pitying is yourself. Mm -hmm. And when you exactly. do that, it unlocks reservoirs of power and creativity in you. Yep. It's so satisfying. It's, harsh, people, it's, people, it's, it's actually not harsh. I don't want to say that it's, it's this Machiavellian thing. It's more of a, a brutal honesty about what your process is, how you're feeling, how you're responding, looking in the mirror in a most naked fashion. Yep, absolutely. But because before, previous to that, you are having all this reinforcement from people around you who are feeling, oh, yes, you know, victim, victim. They're, everyone's in on it. So you're feeling like, oh, I guess this is an okay way to feel, you know, to feel like poor me, poor me, and poor you, and poor you, and you're all reinforcing each other's sickness. And uh, it feels like camaraderie, but it's actually, you know, it's like the drowning people dragging each other down, you know, and it's like, whoa, you get out of there. It's like, I don't want to pity, like, no pity for myself, no victim. It's, it's victim consciousness. It's like, I don't want to feel like a victim, like, oh, this stuff is happening to me, even though it feels so satisfying because everyone else is going along with it and saying, yeah, yeah, it's all oh, you poor guy. And, and, oh, and then you're feeling sorry for them. And you're thinking that's empathy. You're thinking that's sympathy or whatever you're trying to frame it as. And there's nothing wrong with empathy, nothing wrong with feeling someone's pain, right? But you have to climb out of that at some point with yourself primarily, right? And things like when my father died, I was just, oh, it was so sad. But 
you do get over it. You do, you realize, oh, wow, this is exactly what needs to happen. And, you know, I'm grateful that he was alive. He was a great musician and, you know, a great piano player. He played classical music. And it's like, and I, I appreciate all these things. And uh, I'm sorry that my my mother has to, you know, she was 50 years together with him. Well, wow, must be devastating. But then after a while, you just realize this is the natural cycle of life. And, you know, I'm not going to, it's it sounds callous, but I'm not going to feel sorry for my mother. I'm going to feel grateful that she had these 50 years with him, which was amazing, right? You know, that to be able to, you know, they had their problems, but then they worked them out and then they, you know, they had each other and it was very beautiful. And so many people don't have that nowadays. So you should be grateful, however long you can stay with somebody, you know. So yeah, to get over these kind of things is really important. And to first of all, not pity yourself and not get into that victim story it's just so important it goes along with getting over your fears living fearlessly and just having this empathy intuition and imagination most of all imagination to imagine a better way to be absolutely i was just thinking as you were talking that you know the an important corollary or aspect of this discussion around the place of no pity is that it, this is also how you get rid of self-importance, which holds you back. It's a it's yep. a huge it's a huge tether on your spiritual flight. It will absolutely keep you earthbound. You have to let go of the of uh, that entire self-image in many ways, which happened for me kind of largely. I mean, I'm still working on this to some degree, but th this happened to me very significantly over the course of my illness. When I had to drop out of graduate school, my career came crashing down, you know, one bad thing after another. And it, finally, I was just reduced to kind of this, uh, the identity of this sick person, this little, you know, groveling, terrified yeah. person. And then filled since then, you know, so I've, you know, I've absolutely walked through the 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 trough of of despond there and um and now realizing that even though i have done x y and z i've become a writer i've had some success i've you know done some things with my life since then that's a trap too because you can absolutely develop self-importance issues around all of those things which absolutely. is completely not where you want this to go. I feel like I, in some ways I've come through, you know, clarity of fear and clarity. And now I'm working on the power piece because exactly <laughs> a little tiny bit of power. And yeah, what do I do with this? And, you know, in some ways, the answer to that question is you use it to continue to evolve yourself and you don't give a damn about anything else. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You need to. I mean, not saying need, but it is a it's a good idea to destroy the ego in order to strengthen your ego and to strengthen your ego in order to destroy your ego. And it goes back and forth like this, like a sine wave almost, yeah. you know, and, and, and then you get to old age and you're like, at that point, you're like, you know, I have enough clarity and power and not give a crap kind of attitude that I'm totally fine with getting wrinkly and my back hurting and whatever. Ha 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 ha. At that point, you're laughing and you just keep your laughter throughout the whole experience, throughout the ego death and the ego strengthening and the ego death sine wave. And you keep your sense of humor through the whole thing. I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind is the sense of humor. 
because you know people take themselves so seriously especially in that ego in that strong powerpoint you take yourself seriously um, i'm really glad you brought that up because the the humor piece self-humor laughter all of that massively important in helping to you know uh get through the self-importance get to to much higher ideals and much more radical transformations because what what really potentially exists on the other side of that old person getting wrinkly and frail is they've also got a lot of power and they fly the coop and they step into another reality and they have another body and yep. that's really what we're talking about potentially yep 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 very true i think it's also fine to laugh at your own jokes if no one's around to do so you know <laughs> it's it's Amen. more fun <laughs> it's more fun if people are there of course it is it is but you know sometimes you realize that you're the funniest person in the room especially when you're alone Oh, I love that. That's a that's a really good quote. You know, sometimes although my person in the room. my cats are pretty funny though. I have to say, my cats are in the room and they're pretty funny too. How many cats do you have? I have six now. <laughs> it's, it's, wow! And, and becoming they're the crazy. Family. Yeah, they're and they're so cool. They're they get along so well. They 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 lie together. They. It's just fascinating. They're all different. They're all different colors, all different. You know, I got them all from outside and they're all really just beautiful, unique personalities. I just find, yes, yeah, so much joy with them. It's it's quite a it's quite a trip, actually. I've been really, um, you know, and I feed some cats outside as well. I've kind of become the crazy cat lady in some ways, but uh, I totally embrace that. It's fine, you know. <laughs> That's great. There's a character in the book that I'm going to be publishing in the next few weeks. It's called Musings from a Small Island, and the character is the feral cat lady. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, feral. Feral's the way to go. But for some reason, someone called me the cat whisperer the other day. You know, <laughs> so when they, they saw these cats outside that were, you know, going up to me and so friendly and were climbing on me, and uh, they were like, you're the cat whisperer. And I was like, it's so funny. It was kind of, yeah, I'll take that on board. It's fine. Well, you know, because I, I feed them and they're like, oh, it's just because you feed them. Like, well, not necessarily. I mean, they they look at you the way they look at you, even the ones outside, the ones that are not living inside with me. There's some of them, the way they look at me is so deep. There's this one black cat in particular. He's just really a special guy, you know, and he just looks at me like as deeply as any human has looked at me, you know, I really feel he knows some stuff. It's just really sweet and it's very friendly. And uh, yeah, cats are, are fascinating. You know, you, you wish you could actually speak to them in a language, but you don't actually need to. You, It's kind of a telepathic thing. You do uh, understand some things, not words, not, you know, go to the left or don't go across the street. It's not like that. It's nothing as specific as that, but just a transference of information and emotion. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, definitely. I've always loved that with, with animals. You know, I, I haven't really had any animals since I was much younger and there's a part of me that misses it. I also appreciate the convenience of not having animals. So yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Like so, a dog. I mean, you have to, it's a responsibility. Cats are a little bit less, 
responsible. Like you, they take care of themselves, especially if you have a few of them, then they play with each other and stuff. So you play with them, but they can also amuse each other quite well, you know, but a dog really needs, <laughs> you really need to be on the case full time with a dog. It's like having a child, you know, as well. You really, you can't just have a child like a handbag or something. I mean, it's, it's a real commitment and you have to really go for it, you know, but yeah, this, uh, these interesting physical things that are part of this simulation that just it's so real, you know, and it's it's so easy to just um, heavily invest in this physical reality um, because there are so many beautiful things here. You know, this nature is very beautiful. Animals are very beautiful and other human beings. And you're aware that there's there's something going on, but still, you know if you've had some deep experiences, you know that time and space are not at all <laughs> what you think they are. They are, it's very much a construct. And I have been there. I know you've been there. And it's like all of time you thought, even though intellectually you're like, oh yes, I know that it's an illusion and it's Maya and blah and blah and blah. And you can, you can tell yourself that, but to feel it, in your bones, your simulated bones that aren't really there, to feel it so deeply, like, oh, and, and you know, as, as we said before, as Terence McKenna said, if you are not in in awe and and afraid and scared out of your wits, right? I'm paraphrasing here, then you haven't taken enough. I mean, you haven't looked deeply enough at it. It yeah yourself otherwise oh yeah well that's fine ha 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 i never get scared really then you're not looking hard enough dude it, you better be scared out of your wits oh and then you can deal with it but first you have to get to that point where it's like who am i what is this what it's very intense it's very beautiful ultimately but you know before you can get to enlightenment you have to get to endarkenment that's the apartment next door. It's the radio That's station, the just a little tweak on the dial. And darkenment is a hardcore experience. And uh, for me, it helped me get to enlightenment. I'm not saying I'm at enlightenment. I'd like to sort of be in the doorway with one foot in each saying, okay, but I'm still here in this world because, you know, I don't want to get hit by a bus. Although, can we demolecularize ourselves and have the bus pass through us? I was wondering that, you know, like the lady who's able to lift the car when her her child is like, oh, no, the child, and she lifts this car. Now, she can't do that normally every day. She's not lifting cars for a living. No, but at that moment, she's able to go beyond the laws of physics and reality and lift that car to save her child. So that's we know in, the, in the Castaneda books, the final moment of the of the apprentices training is when they they are led up onto a cliff and they jump into the abyss off a mountaintop and they have to change their assemblage point on the fly and demolecularize into another reality. Exactly. That's how they <laughs> save their lives. You know, exactly. like, like one time Don Juan is asked, well, what would, what would you do if, uh, you know, someone were coming after you to try to, you know, to kill, to kill you is like, well, I, I wouldn't be here. I'm paraphrasing. I, I, wouldn't, oh, yes. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Yes. You see, 
razzle dazzle. I mean, people think, and people listen to us and they think, oh, these guys have lost the plot. No, no, actually, we found the plot, and you cannot plot. (laughs) You can. This is this is a very interesting plot, and it's it's very real. Like I, I know it sounds so ridiculous, but you know, it's possible. I have met people that don't eat any food for years and years and years and years. Oh, yeah, they're probably sneaking a Twinkie on the side. Actually, no, they're not. They have no desire to do that. I've seen some things in India that just defy any reason. And so, you know, if it's possible for some, I think it might be possible for, for all or for many, you know, if you're, if you want if you want to go that way, not saying everyone can or should, or, you know, is destined to do that. But, you know, we are just capable of so much more than we think we are. And, uh, and we can't do it through an ego thing, like, oh, wow, I want to have these magic powers, and I'm gonna, gonna show off and go get the chicks then and get lots of, no, (laughs) no, no, that's, that's, (laughs) you know, then you're not going to get it, right? That's where you're stuck in power. I mean, you're, you know, that's, that's, that's the motivating force at at the power phase of your enemies. Yep. And I've definitely seen that in India and other parts of the world where people, they get to a certain amount of power and then they have people around them reinforcing it, just like people will reinforce with the victim story. And, oh, I'm so shit. I'm so shit. You're also like, I'm so great. Oh, you are so great. You're so, I am great. <laughs> and then you just trip out on that. And then you you, you develop all the, these little cities, which they call them S-I-D-D-H-I. That's what's a mm-hmm. yep. the word. So it's an approximation. These little uh, tricks, these things that you can do, right, that are just seem magical and like impossible. Large or infinitesimally small. Yes, exactly. You could change your face to any kind of face and you can it did all those stuff. The thing is, though, the, the, the paradox is that if you're able to do stuff like that, you probably won't even do stuff like that. It's like the martial artist who's so good, he never gets into a fight. Well, no, no I'm real. I can kick anyone's ass, but no one wants to fight me. What the, What's going on? You know, what's going on is you have such a great vibration. You're not even wondering what's going on at that point. You're just so calm and you give off such a vibe that nobody comes to pick a fight with you. Even drunk guys, they somehow know not to do so. You know, it's it's the middling people who might get into fights like, I want to learn some karate and kick some ass. Once you get really good at martial arts, you just never get in another fight. You say, yep. well, why did I do this? Well, you did it be, <laughs> to be in that state. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. You know, it's, it's this you're tripping out on the power, but then once you really have the power, you don't need to use it because you've gotten beyond that that spiritual arrogance, you know. Right, right. Except if you do use it in the early phases of the power and you you know, and this can this can even happen with acquisition, property, money, that kind of thing. Yeah. This heaviness can trap you in this reality. Yes, exactly. Here. And if your goal is freedom and, and the ability to move beyond this reality, even if you come and go, even if, you know, you keep one, you know, a piate here and here in this reality and you, you know, come and go between this place and other places, you can't do that if you have so many possessions and so much attachment to this world. Yep, Exactly. Well, that's the thing. Some people may be designed that maybe their whole trip that they have to get mired in that 
you just, they have this great power. They're able to acquire all these things. They're able to use their power and sometimes in unsavory ways. And they do that. And they fully do that. But then at some point, they have enough power to realize, whoa, what am I doing? Right. So the same thing that gave them that power is the same thing that allowed them to climb out of it and relinquish that power. You know, it's that yeah. that sine wave. But they're able to step back from it and go, whoa, I see where this is, has led me. Right. And they indeed needed to do that whole narrative. It's it's almost like there's a script. You know, this is the interesting thing about about Jason's work, about, about any kind of work is that there is this script already written. But at the same time, we have this free will. And then people are like, well, it has to be one or the other. You're like, well, no, it's not either or it's both. And, you know, there's a script going on and you have free will and stuff you haven't even dreamed of is going on that unites those things. And you're like, no, it must be either black or other white. You're just like, it's black, it's white, and it's other things you, you can't even conceive beyond the spectrum of your limited mind. Your, your mind can't conceive of how you could possibly marry a totally predetermined script and total freedom to create your reality. It's like, well, how can those be together? You're like, well, yeah, those are is. great points, right? I mean, yeah. even those people who understand the both and piece, and I've really been into the both end concept and the, and the language using exactly the same kind of language for a really long time. Even people who realize that this is a phenomenon don't necessarily have a grasp on how it works. You know, for example, we take really strange things like the uh, concept of retrocausality, mm. you know, where we you know, somehow travel back in time, mentally, emotionally, energetically, physically, I don't know. And then we change what happened. This is the classic sci-fi motif, right? And then then that that changes the the present moving into the future. And so, okay, maybe it works like that. There's another way that it might work. It's the shamanic concept where you simply project, like there's a storytelling technique where if you sit down to tell your story, and you have a hat on, you can turn that hat a full circle, which indicates your intention to rewrite the story that you're about to tell. And basically what you tell is the story as you wish it had worked out. Yes. And that can actually connect you with that reality because we live in an infinity. So there's an, there are infinite realities and infinite possibilities that can connect this reality to that reality where you seamlessly move into that reality because they're all parallel. They're all happening simultaneously in this model. And then yep. suddenly it worked out the way you wanted it to. Yep. Yep. It's it's fascinating. The retrocausality is fascinating. It's similar to the Mandela effect, to the simulation, to various things changing you know you're like oh well that i remember it as a certain way and then suddenly it just changes and you're like oh well hang on it changed i remember it as the other way and but this reality like in mandela effects it is the history has now been rewritten to reflect that change you know some people don't understand uh the effects so much they're saying oh well then no i know a company can just change logos it happens all the time you're saying indeed it does but in this case the logo was not changed there's no record of it changing according to this reality it's always been like this you're like what yeah. 
Yes. I mean, how so, can it be like this? I distinctly remember this. And you're like, oh, well, your memory is faulty. You misremember it. And you're like, no, no, I don't. Well, me and millions of other people, we right. misremember it, you know. And then my daughter made a painting based on that thing that the fruit of the loom with the cornucopia or whatever. She made this painting. And so what, she's just retarded and just made this cornucopia for no reason. And millions of people remember it. Like, yes, that's right. Because it doesn't make sense within my bookend. So therefore, I'm going to say that you are delusional and i'm going to say you're delusional that you can't understand that one plus one equals two i mean it's really not that difficult it's, <laughs> it's not, right. but uh, you're, you're such an expert on the mandala effect i mean you know there's i want to I'll, I'll try to remember to put this in the show notes you did you had that wonderful you played a wonderful role in that one discord chat with jason where you really i think opened his mind to the pervasiveness of the mandala effect and kind of led him to rethinking what it meant as possibly some kind of wink wink from the benefactor in the simulation saying hey dude you're in a simulation so that we begin to wake up more and that kind absolutely. of thing. all that was absolutely brilliant but if anyone happens to be stumbling on this conversation and has no idea what the hell we're talking about how would you how would you <laughs> find the mandela effect well it's you know, there are some people that are that are adamantly opposed to it and i totally understand and i I, I sympathize, empathize, and all kinds of, of milky thighs with them. Really, I do. I get it. You know, I get it. It's very difficult for people to embrace the mystery and to say, oh, well, that can't happen. You know, I get it. I get it. I get it. But this is way beyond me or someone debating this. This is something that's very profound, and it's part of the simulation itself. It's basically something that... You remember it a certain way, and there's even residue to show that it was that way. But the reality has now changed, and it's changed retroactively. The history has been rewritten to reflect that change. And I believe, because there are literally hundreds of Mandela effects that are well-known amongst people that we would agree with, and I believe that there are millions of personal Mandela effects that people have, things that just aren't there. There's like little glitches in the simulation, you know, like the black cat or whatever in the matrix, like the keys disappear and you, where the hell were they? And then you look and then an hour later, they're on the table and you looked on the table. It's nobody brought it through the door. No one's screwing with you. No cat brought it in. It's, it was gone and now it's reappeared. That's a kind of a Mandela effect, but Mandela effects like I could list a few if you want, you know, like the word dilemma, which is D-I-L-E-M-N-A to me and to you and to anyone who knows. But now it's with two M's uh, in the Bible. I think it was Matthew 1820. It's like for where two or more are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, right? That's what we remember. Anybody who knows the Bible has heard that like literally hundreds of times. And now instead of two or more, it's two or three. So what God's there when there's two or three people, but when there's four, he just it takes off or something. I mean, that makes no sense. I mean, and the thing is, these Mandela effects, they often don't make much sense, right? And the thing is, they're in very popular things. They're not in some obscure esoteric tome that no one ever reads. They're in popular culture. They're brands. They're the Bible, the Lord's Prayer itself. Like some of the most popular things, some of the most iconic movie lines that you've ever heard before are, are changed. And so how could you just 
misremember that. It's not like um, someone gave you a phone number 40 years ago and then says, Do you, what was that phone number? And you only heard it one time. You're like, well, like, I don't remember, right? But when it's a movie, like, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, you know, by Mr. Rogers. I mean, you've heard that as a child countless times, maybe hundreds of times. And suddenly someone says, no, 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 he never said it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And you're like, no, I'm sorry, that's impossible. And the person goes, oh, you're just delusional. You just don't remember it right. You're saying, I heard it hundreds of times. I think I remember what it was. This is not about- that phrasing sounds like shit, poetically speaking. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. And again, it's like, hey, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's more universal. Whereas this neighborhood, my neighborhood's great. Your neighborhood sucks ass. I mean, huh? What's going on, Mr. Rogers? What? Don't diss my neighborhood, buddy. I mean, it's like makes no sense. It, it, it's really and beam me up, Scotty was never said in Star Trek. I mean, imagine if you will was never said by Rod Serling or Sterling, whatever you prefer, in the Twilight Zone. And what if I told you that everything you know is a lie? By Morpheus? That line doesn't exist anymore in the Matrix. And people are like, oh, well, it's some editing. It's the new version. No, it doesn't. It's never existed. It wasn't. It used to be. I mean, this is a very popular meme, right? There are hundreds of memes that have the what if I told you one from the Matrix. And now they tell you it never existed. Now, I mean, really, are you serious? How is that possible when it's the most iconic line? You see, they're not taping, taking obscure lines or Lucy, you got some spleen in the door. This is Desi Arnaz from I Love Lucy, who said that many times, right? And now he's called Desi Arnaz, N-A-Z, instead of N-E-Z. So his name changed. And that iconic line doesn't exist anymore. Life is like a box of chocolates, for instance, is now life was like a box of chocolates. Huh? I mean, it. we know it was. <laughs> it's it's just hilarious. And for me, it's like, oh, yeah, Luke, I am your father. Um, you know, C-3PO now, now has a silver leg. Um, they even say, shut down all the trash compactors on the detention level is now garbage mashers instead of trash compactors that, that, like, that's a crazy one to me that's the most hilarious i mean it sounds so dumb right i mean it's funny i mean i i don't mind it i i think it's hilarious i love these i mean some people are disturbed i said don't destroy my childhood memories i said hey i get it i know what you mean some of the song ones are are nutty for me as well or the, the wizard of oz fly my pretties fly she never said it now she's just not there. Click your heels is now tap your heels. What she's going to do a tap dance or something? I mean, the, the was who sent me that 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 um, footage of someone doing a cover of uh, let's say um, I'm wanting to say it was a Queen song in concert with all the people singing along. Yes, yes. you know that one. Oh, what was that? Oh, that the, was Bee Gees, the Bee Gees. Oh, that's crazy. The Bee Gees one. It's how deep is your love? Yeah, it, yeah it's, and it, it's you. Yeah, and it's you I need to show. How deep is your love? How deep, how deep is your love? I really need to know. I really need to know, right? And it rhymes with show. It is, I really need to show. How deep is your love? How deep is your love? I really need to know. I mean, I know, I know this line. This is song finding 101. Yeah, I, 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 I wrote it down. I performed that song. I wrote it in a book. I know it. You can't tell me. You can put a gun to my head, and I, I know that as well as I know my own name. I don't even care about the BG so much. I'm just like, I know that song. You can't screw with me. You can't tell me, oh, I just remember it. No, I don't. And now it's, 
instead of I really need to know, it's I really mean to learn. <laughs> what? I mean, it's like it's another universe, you know? And how about the, the California Dreaming song? It goes, got down on my knees and I and I began to pray. And I began to pray. Now it's I got down on my knees and I pretend to pray. I don't know about you, Saul, but began and pretend are different. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the message is really different too and the that. message is very different and that's the thing people say oh these are just silly little things about brand names and you know that the the monopoly man with a monocle or or no monocle i actually believe that all of them are significant i don't think any of them are are just frivolous i mean they sound frivolous of course their products and their movies and these things and also south america move 1500 kilometers to to the east or a thousand miles or whatever to the east. I mean, and Panama Canal used to flow east-west. I mean, there's guys that were stationed there in the military and they know Panama Canal used to go east-west. And now it goes basically north-south. It goes a little bit off to the northwest. Uh, it's what? How is that possible? Well, when South America moves all the way over there, Panama Canal gets stretched. And I know that people are going to deny this, but there's people who have been stationed down there and they will tell you unequivocally it was east-west. And then you tell them, well, now look on the map and they're like, what? And then they'll have the people say, oh, well, you know, map projections, blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, dude, we're talking about the flow of Panama Canal has shifted. So, you know, the kidneys in the body have moved. Now, and the airplane engines have moved. Airplane engines are now shoved way up at the front. They're not under the wings. Now, if you ask an airline pilot or a technician, um, what about the air? They're going to say, no, they've always been there. And if you ask a surgeon, did the kidneys move? They said, no, the kidneys have always been there. Now, you're wondering, what's wrong with these people? Are they babbling idiots? Have they become retarded? Are they flinging feces on the walls? Like, are they doing? No, they seem capable. They still have their intelligence. The surgeon is still able to do the surgery. But the surgeon, you know, I know people that studied anatomy, but they didn't become surgeons, and they will swear up and down 100% they know that the kidneys moved. I've, I've talked to people who had kidney surgery and then had to have kidney surgery many years later, and it had moved, and they had a tattoo, and they know it moved, like they're, it's their own body. And But yet these surgeons will say, no, 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 it's always been there. Now, what's going on with that? Those are the experts, quote unquote. They should know better than we do. Why is it like this? I don't know. I can speculate that maybe because pilots need to fly the airplane without freaking out and going, what? The things have moved? What's going on? Might disturb them, right? A surgeon's going, whoops, oh, damn, I carved in the wrong place. Can't have that happening. So they get some kind of overwrite. They get some kind of download where they have to accept the, the new version so that they can continue to do their expert job but everything else is the same. They still know how to walk. They still know how to write their name. They, you know, all these other memories stay intact. I mean, so I understand these things are a little bit too much for most people because they're not willing to accept that reality can just change like this. And then like retrocausality, which is basically the Mandela effect, the same thing. Things can change retroactively. I mean, anyone who thinks that mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? If you if you really think that's magic mirror on the wall, then I don't know what to say to you. I mean, I really don't know. I can understand a young person 
might not know the original version because they were watching Toy Story or whatever they grew up with. And now they now they watch it and now it's been changed to Magic Mirror. But anyone that's older, anyone, doesn't matter what sex, what political persuasion, whatever, every 100% pretty well are going to say mirror, mirror on the wall. You know, and Dolly had braces in Moonraker. You know, hey, and, I, I've got a question for you and the audience, but don't don't answer oh, it immediately. Yeah. Okay, so so what is in the middle of King Tut's brow? <laughs> I know. Right, so so I'll, you can answer it, but but just think about that for a moment. Search back in yeah. your memory. What's in the what is in the what's going on with the brow of King Tut? So so right. right, my friend. Exactly. Well, there used to be just one creature coming out of the brow, and now there are two creatures coming out. And it's so utterly bizarre. I mean, if you grew up, which I did, I had the National Geographic when it came out, when the King Tut was being brought around to various places that hold mommy. And you just know what it looks like. And there's Steve Martin and there's many people doing parodies of it. And they're wearing the headdress with the one creature coming out, one. And now, according to this reality, it's always had these two creatures coming out. Now, you know, I think it's significant. Every I, I think all of the things are, are significant, you know, whether it's Queen, We Are the Champions, or Who Will Save Your Soul by Jewel, which is now Who Will Save Your Souls. A painted black is, is now uh, I See a Red Door and I Want It Painted Black, you know, and I really need to know. That, that one just kills me. That, that, that Bee Gees one is one of the m- most bizarre for me. I, <laughs> yeah, that one is um, really bizarre. So what yeah. do you what do you think about, you know, if you go obviously there's a lot of people looking into this. If you just pop over to Amazon and do a search on Mandela effect, you'll get all kinds of books being written on this. There was a movie back in 2019 yes. called The Mandela Effect. Right. Very, very fascinating. And obviously this is polarizing and, and you know that's to be expected. But given what we've been studying for a while, simulation theory, uh, the you know, the shamanic work various ways of looking at maya illusion whatever what do you think mm-hmm. is going on how how is it happening how do you envision it even if you're just making up a plausible scenario what's going on with that i i really think i mean you know i don't really like to speculate i mean it's fun to speculate but anybody okay. who thinks they know you know they say oh it's it's god it's satan it's the sarin hadron collider it's this it's that it's blah uh, it's false memory. It's your drug-addled, uh, silly person who's gone insane. Whatever. None of these things. That, none of these things are are correct. I would lean more towards. Um, it is so all pervasive. I mean, okay, if it was just on the internet, right? If there was just a supercomputer with you know human technology with a very advanced computer could trawl through the internet and make changes to everything on the internet okay so if if that's what it was then okay you could just say oh well it's just an internet thing it's a technological thing humans do uh, humans are doing it to to screw with us the secret societies are there to to twist our minds or whatever but no this is like the ford car you have sitting in your garage for 40 years has looked a certain way and now that hunk of metal and the ford cars all over the world now even things that have been there and you've seen it many times for 40 years that f now has a little curly cue on it and that just doesn't make any sense that is an actual physical object changing or like the thinker statue 
used to have the fist on the forehead. Now it does not. I mean, what's that's a that's a hunk. That's a that's a physical object. That's not an online thing. So, what about private family Bibles changing? A private Bibles all over the world. All of it doesn't matter whether it's forty years old, whether it's a hundred years old. You go back, and it's the lion. The lion shall lay with the lamb, and now it's the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. I mean, and that is one of the most well-known verses from the Bible. I mean, I asked my mother, and my mother's 77 years old. And, you know, I asked her, of course, she says, it's, of course it's the lion. Then she goes and checks her Bible from 1963. It says wolf. It says it in all of them. Now, the interesting thing with that is originally when that changed, right, it was just the KJV. Only the KJV said the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. So when you talk to Christians about it, you said, hey, look at this. They're like, oh, well, that's just the KJB. It's demonic. It's whatever they want to couch it. The other 30 or something uh, translations still had the lion, right? So all these people are putting their foot in it saying, oh, well, this still says lion here. And then after some time, they all changed. And we're not talking about online. We're talking about your physical Bible at home change. I've talked to people who were looking at their Bible and it changed while they were reading it. And they were like, whoa, and they threw it across the room. And they, you know, they were a little bit freaked out. You can imagine. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, for us, we'd be like, whoa, this is drippy, man. You know, like I'd be like hooping and hollering, like, this is fun. You know, I, I was it the same cat. Hmm. Was it the same cat? I was that that line out of the Matrix where you know, you know, <laughs> exactly, you know. yeah, exactly. I mean, this is the thing, you know, it whether it's online or it's physical reality, you know, or whether it's a dot on a Kit Kat or if it's a building that wasn't there and suddenly it's there. Like I've talked to people who've had personal Mandela effects where they're like, "Dude, I went, I go by this street every day, and one day I went by." And there was this building there and it wasn't there. And these people are like, this high school I went to for five years and then I left and I came back two years later, the high school was now on the opposite side of the road. And I'm like, what the hell? And they go and they ask somebody, hey, did they take down the high school and then rebuild it on this side of the street? And some people are like, no, it's always been on that side of the street. And then you're thinking... Am I losing my mind? But you know you didn't lose your mind. You went there for years. And this is pretty insane, you know. And some of these things are personal ones. They can be a little bit challenging because you don't have millions of other people saying, yeah, I remember it like that too, right? Because like, at least you have, you know, we're all, we're all experiencing the same insanity. We all remember Ed McMahon delivering giant checks for Publishers Clearinghouse. And now they tell you he never delivered giant checks and he worked for American Family Publishing. And people, they just go along with it. You know, what? No. But of course, if you go up to people on the street and ask them, people that are old enough, they will remember it the original way. Then it's up to them to accept it or not accept it. I mean, maybe we don't know how it's being done, but at least admit that the phenomenon is happening. It's not, it's like one plus one equals two. It's not difficult at all. It may be difficult to reconcile it with your conception of the world as a solid reality that goes from A to B to C. I, I know within the bookends, it's very difficult. You know, I get it. <laughs> it's it's hard for people, not hard for me. As I was aware of these things anyway. And then when I started to realize when people are talking about the Mandela effect, quite a few years ago, I realized I'd already been experiencing these Mandela effects before 
like years before, but I just, there wasn't a name for it. You know, I just thought, okay, that's kind of odd. And now it really doesn't phase me. I, I'm, I'm not afraid of it. That's for sure. I find it fascinating. I find it funny, find it beautiful. I mean, how about people who check out the JFK assassination? Like some people believe the official story. You know, there was one shooter. Many people, maybe most people, don't believe the official story. They say it's, um, you know, there was a second shooter and it was the Russians, it was the Cubans, it was the mob, it was Uncle Bob, it was this and that, blah, 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 right? And there's people been writing books on this for years, books and articles and studying the Zapruder and blah, 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 and all this, right? And somehow the bullet trajectories and the science behind it, and this guy's related to this guy and the, and the gematria and everything. And somehow they just thought that there were four people in the car, but now there are six people in the car. So like me, I don't believe Kennedy died. I believe that was a complete hoax and a fake. And I know that's not popular among most people, but if you really do the research, I really don't see how you could think otherwise. But anyway, I'll it's leave like that for line in, in uh, JFK, you know, he says, it's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. Exactly. And, and, and wrapped in a, in a figma leaf. It's, it's just ridiculous. But the thing is, whether whatever you believe, you know, whether you believe he was killed by then or not killed by then, or if he wasn't killed at all, which is what I definitely believe. The fact that it changed from four people in the car to six people in the car is that is profound. I'm sorry. That is very bizarre. And you can't just say, oh, well, they just don't remember it. What do you mean? Don't remember it. People have been looking at that closely under a microscope for the last 50 years. And you're saying they just Oh, I never noticed that there were these two extra people in the car. No, I just I'm pretty no, I'm not very observant. I mean, come on. You know, or or the Pentagon, whatever you believe about any conspiracy angle, we were told zero people died at the Pentagon, right? In 9-11. And now 125 people have died. I mean, the official story and the alternate story, everybody agreed nobody died there for years. And now it's always been 125 people. And somebody said to me, oh, well, maybe they found the people later. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, then there would be all this evidence of years of articles saying zero, zero. And then they'd say, hey, guess what? We thought there were zero, but there actually were 125. No, none of that is there. And there were tons of articles written about it all over the place. It's all disappeared. And now it's always been 125. Now, I don't understand... <laughs> I'm trying to be compassionate and understanding of different apertures and people's points of view, but I seriously don't understand how with hundreds of obvious effects that are broad-based, the design to reach the maximum number of people, and this is why I'm answering your question about how do I think it's being done, or why is it being done? I mean, both those questions I can't really answer, but it does look like it's designed to reach the maximum number of people. Like you're saying, look, guys, we're making it so obvious. We're offering it on a bloody silver platter to you. This is, you've seen this movie how many times, right? You know this line. Now we're changing it right in front of your face. Look at it. And if you still can't notice it, well, I guess you're not ready to notice. I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's beautiful that you are, <laughs> you know, if you don't want to accept it, that's fine. But don't tell me that I'm not sitting on a chair when I am sitting on a chair. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you can believe you're a blueberry muffin and that's totally fine. Like, yeah, you're a blueberry muffin. Woohoo, right? But I'm sitting in a chair. 
having a coffee and you go up to me and say, you're not sitting in a chair. You're not having coffee. You're delusional. You're crazy. People like you are insane. And I'm like, um, okay. (laughs) I don't know what to say to that. Really? Really? And that is sometimes how we are approached by people. And I think the intensity of the reaction shows that there is something profound going on. Yeah, it speaks volumes. Absolutely. It's that's, you know, you get some flack when you're over the target. And so you might want to characterize it as uh, AIX. Maybe these people don't even, they would not agree with that or something. We could say AIX is, is working through you. You're channeling AIX right now and you're trying to throw me off my game but I'm learning not to be thrown off my game by this kind of stuff because I have heard every kind of mental pretzel gymnastic contorted excuse and justification that exists. It's not my first rodeo, my friend. I've heard it all. <laughs> so I and I have compassion for you. You're retard. Not just joking. Edit that part out. I have compassion for you. I get it that you're not on board and that's totally fine you're doing exactly what you need to do and i'm doing what i need to do you know what you need to get recycled when the sim's over exactly you want to go straight back to genesis or whatever do this again be my guest you know i intend to transcend the the ninjas coming from different directions and evolve my soul and get onto something else you know this is great but i'm i'm here to evolve i'm not here to get dragged down into um silly debates about things i mean i don't mind if people are legitimately interested you know trying to help as much as i can because you know i can help in some ways and i'm a real retard in other ways and other people can help me some people that maybe have no clue of anything else could be just so helpful to me in other ways you know so we all bring something to the table right but i i really don't want to have debates or try to convince people nowadays. You know, I'm passionate about some things. I find things funny and I find the Mandela effect, you know, profound and interesting. And some people are like, "Eh, it doesn't interest me at all. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but the fact that reality is changing before your very eyes and the past is being rewritten to reflect that it doesn't fascinate you. I mean, not just a little, I think that's weird as Terrence McKenna said then you haven't taken enough you haven't looked deeply enough if you're not blown away by the profundity of this kind of these kind of alterations in the simulation then I, I don't know what to say you know well they're, but, u- um, they're using reason or their worldview as a kind of emotional shield because this is very threatening material I think that's very often what's going on with people I, I think so I, I mean I, I don't know if it can fully explain it but it may explain most of it actually it just and in fact that may be a deeper concept than just saying you say well you know maybe they've accepted some kind of download they've had a rewrite and you know some people might say well the demons have infested their mind and what you know like well no 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 just that's enough to say there's something they are not even aware of it that their their reason is something in their spirit is just going no 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 it's too frightening for them and i actually get it you know because i can remember going through frightening times in my life realizing that this place was not what i thought it was even though i was well versed in maya and illusion and all these things when i felt it in my bones 
it was a very frightening experience, as I just called it in darkenment. It really was. It was like, you know, it could have been an ultimate enlightenment, blissful connection with all things and no fear. And, and you know, I'm creating this reality and I'm at one with the source or the opposite of that, like exactly the same feeling, but I'm super scared. You know, <laughs> it's kind of, it's the same thing, enlightenment and darkenment. It's just like the same kind of thing, just feeling it in a different flavor, you know? And so I don't regret at all having had those experiences, but then sometimes I forget how difficult it is to realize that this world is not what we think it is. And, you know, it is a little challenging. So I try to have compassion for that, you know. But, you know, I don't mind having a little fun also. Right. <laughs> so I could... uh, yeah, right. You know, I know that in my experience, I even when I was opening myself up to energy and concepts like multidimensionality, or, you know, spirits, shamanism, all of that, you know, I've had some extremely frightening uh, events associated with that, just as I've had some really transcendent ones. Mm-hmm. So there's reason to be afraid because we live, we are, we are super magical creatures who live on the threshold of an infinite vastness. And if you're not afraid of that, at least a little bit, I don't think you're being honest. Exactly. It's going right back to full circle to what we talked about at the beginning about fear, about, you know, you sure you're going to be afraid, you know, to say that, oh, I have no fear. I have no fear. I live only in love and no fear. I mean, that's a great ideal to have, but you, of course, you're going to be afraid in order to make any real progress. You have to be scared out of your wits at some point, at several points, I think, in your life, you know, and uh, but it's such a fine balance because you, you look at all these people constantly in fear and constantly feeding and feeding and you're like, yeah, I don't want to be like that, you know, but without a little bit of that or some a lot of it <laughs> at certain points you really won't progress, you know, and you're right. You have to look it straight on. You have to, you know, and I, I don't say you have to do that 24 hours a day, every single day, always totally dilate fear, put fear in your face all the time. I mean, you know, you need a little bit of a break, perhaps, you know, we're, <laughs> we're human as well, whatever that is. We need some gentle, uh, you know, calmness, but yeah, got to face the fear and got to got to get over the fear. No doubt about it. Well, the catalyst of fear is an important thing. And back to the assemblage point concept, it's used constantly in shamanism to shift people's assemblage points into a much more empowering position where guess what? They're not as afraid. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, this, it's... this has been a blast. I mean, we could go on forever. And in fact, I hope yeah. we will have another conversation before too long because I think there's there's a part two waiting in the wings here. I did want to ask you, uh, you know, how you'll feel feel about moderating <laughs> this interview. You know, you're, you're one of my moderators, so uh, <laughs> you know, that's going to be a real meta experience, kind of looking in the mirror for you. Well, it's going to be bizarre. It's going to be. I, I'll try not to have any fear or embarrassment <laughs> or shame at at my absurd performance in my <laughs> you know how it is you listen to yourself and you're like oh god that sounds kind of goofy and like what am i talking about you know but actually when always when i was in that soap opera and that tv show that was one of those meta weird experiences where 
you know, I'd been on stage. I'd done about 35 theater productions and I'd done improvisational comedy for years and studied did workshops and in, in a competitive sense and whatever in teams or whatever theater sports. So I did the, So I was used to that. But then to actually see it, right, because on theater, you can't see yourself on stage to look at it on TV, be like, whoa. And then just for it to be on every day for eight months, there's 130 episodes. And then, to, you know, go in the editing room to see your face and your face. And then to sometimes walk by some television shop that had 25 televisions and to look. And if it was on at four o'clock PM, I'd look over and there'd be my face, 25 of them looking at me. I'm like, what the hell? And it's just weird, weird stuff. And then people would, people didn't know who I was, but once it got on the television, everyone was like, Oh, hello, hello. You're in the show. Can I have your autograph? And blah, blah, blah. And all this, all this attention and people look staring at you wherever you went all the time. And I was like, Oh my God, this is a weird experience. Right. I, I had that experience. It was, it was strange and meta and, and, uh, you know, it was, a and, and I didn't even have a TV. Right. So I would, wouldn't even watch it at home or whatever, but I would sometimes see it around. And so that was a weird experience. And so I guess I'm already used to, um, hearing my voice and seeing myself. So I kind of got over that fear. And in fact, um, theater, the first thing you have to do is just get over the fear. That's one thing I, I realized when I was 14, I was like, wow, if I'm going to do this at all, I have to not be afraid because if I'm afraid the body's going to be tense and I'm going to look like an idiot. And so I'm really thankful uh, for theater to, to have taught me that important lesson, you know, but you have great vocal delivery and I love how your mind works. It's super fast and makes very odd yet appropriate connections. It's very interesting to just follow it. You know, I, I mentioned to you, you should, you know, sit down and write some kind of Kerouacian novel like on the road, you know, in just a couple of days, just spew it all out because it'll probably just be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I think that suit that suits my. <laughs> I would probably because you can write and you can rewrite. You can take months and months to make this magnum opus perfect, or you can just like a jazz musician just go blah. You know, and that's the other thing. I do music, right? I sing, and I love this this flow state, this improvisation that you get with singing. And I was always good at that too, like making up songs, like making up lyrics. And melodies. Dude, you're like you're like Bobby McFerrin. You can do amazing things with your voice. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. In fact, I was even thinking to bring out the guitar and sing during the, but you know, maybe we'll do that in part two. I'll just, Let's do that. just, just a little bit of a blast, you know, just like blah, 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 you know, <laughs> just for fun. I'm there. Be- I'm there. You know, I would love to, I would love to be a part of that. And we could talk some music because I mean we have. I know we have a lot of common ground in musical taste, but we also know things that, you know, each other doesn't know in terms of larger world music scene. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, I always appreciate our exchanges. And, uh, you know, this is this is so funny to think that we're talking right and that this is going to be listened to by some people that we know you know, and some other people we've never met. And by artificial intelligence X exactly all of it it's it's fascinating but i had again i had that experience with the television where it was going out to tons of people that i've never met and they some of those had seen me for months i'm like a friend of theirs and but it, for them it's the first time i've ever met them and they're like hey they start talking to me about the show like i'm an old pal and it was just 
really weird, you know, and, and this kind yeah. of thing. But that's that's what it is. And I've been sort of since then, I've been in India doing another whole trip and avoiding everything, being anonymous, staying offline, being, you know, blah. and only in the last few years, I've just thought, ah, screw it, you know, whatever, you know, and then I finally got a YouTube account. I was always doing things anonymously and checking out things all the time. And then I just thought, well, there is no anonymous. The everything is watching the everything all the time, you know. And so why not just add something to the overall zeitgeist, the overall everything that's there, you know. The people say, well, the AI is watching it. It's a lot deeper than that, you know. You're being watched at all times by everything. You know, you never do anything privately. And I don't mean like surveillance. I mean beyond that, beyond human technology. Everything is observed all the time. And so you, that's why just be authentic and be yourself and have no fear because there's nothing to hide, right? Yeah. I mean, the next time you go walking in the woods with a bunch of trees, just realize you have a massive audience. Exactly. Oh, I look forward to doing that again. <laughs> I'm on this island here and there are there are some trees around, but it's not like in some countries where you really feel that vibe. I mean, I'm appreciative for where I am. And I'll also be appreciative to to leave here and to get on to other things in my life, to go to the next country and set up a sound studio and make music and, you know, make all these albums that I know are inside me that are... Oh, I hope I can be a fly on the wall or help in some small way as you do that. I would love to contribute oh, for sure. whatever whatever I can to to uh to that vision because you're so talented Absolutely. and I can't wait until people can really just hear what you can do because it's amazing I played I played um just the two of us your rendition of that for my son and you know he's been doing music for a very long time and he was very very impressed oh cool that's it's it's a it's an example of the sweet voice you know like I, I have all these different voices all these different you know, timbres of voice and, and and it sounds like different people, you know, and that's this um, uh, sweet, gentle voice, you know, it's like hits sure, these terms sure. that, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I did that, I just did that on the phone and I did like two or three versions of it. And that was, I think the better one of the three of them. And, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. You know, and it's, again, it's just like whipping it off and, music is, is fascinating because there's a certain amount of, of technique to it. And there's a certain amount of just flow. Like you don't even know what you're doing. You can't even um, take responsibility for it. You know what I mean? You're like, Oh, that's me. Like, well, I'm sort of only partly responsible for that. The rest of it is just opening yourself up to flow, you know? Yeah. I feel and, that uh, way about so much of my creativity. I've just, it's, you know, there's a part of me that feels like an observer to my own process. It takes on a life of its own. I mean, you, you as a writer, you just like, Wah, and like, look at, look at Kali the Destroyer. I mean, what the heck, you know, how the heck, you know, you were anticipating, as you said, you're like the Archon creating this, <laughs> you're the Demiurge creating this yeah. stuff, you know, I mean, you know, it's fascinating how, how this stuff comes and it's, you know, and nothing to fear, you know, it's just like, wow, I'm, I'm grateful that this is just flowing through me, you know, and I'm, I know you're grateful for you. I mean, your writing is really 
fabulous. You know, you're a very talented writer. Here we are stroking each other's egos here. Ah, whatever. We're in the power stage, right? Before our old age. That's right. That's right. I got to get my power <laughs> together so I can, I can give it up, you know, or use it differently. Well, exactly. so I'm going to take you up on doing some music on the next uh, interview. I think that would be a blast. And then we can take that, that whole conversation in a slightly different direction. I'm sure we'll come back around to simulation and Mandela effect because I can't seem to stay away from those things. But um, it's hilarious. How long was this one? This felt longer than usual. It's no? A little I bit mean... longer. It's probably in the hour and a half range. So that's good. That's not too, too, uh, too long. Well, let's let's yeah. cut it off here so that people, you know, can can, you know, get back to dinner or whatever uh, they need to exactly. do. And um, <laughs> and and we'll save some material for next time. But I would just want to thank you, my friend, for coming on the show and being so eloquent and entertaining. I've had a blast. Oh, me too. I really appreciate it. And it's always a pleasure talking with you. It really <laughs> you're just you're one of my favorite people. I have so much love. So much respect for you, Saul. And I really appreciate everything you're doing. Really, thank you. We'll completely back at you on all sentiments. Okay, brother. Until the next time. Until next time, my friend. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.